you have to be your biggest fan. And when things are really tough and they're really rough and nothing's working, but there's something inside of you that says, no, just have to follow that. Because you don't know who you're going to meet. Podcasting from the Bluegrass State in the city of Frankfurt, you are now tuned in to Conversations with the Dean. Welcome, Conversations with the Dean, a place where every conversation tells a different story, roundtable discussions and conversations with insight from voices within our community. So please make sure to follow us. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all streaming platforms. And I'm your host, The Dean. Joining me today to give us a glimpse into her career and personal journey, the Commissioner of the Department for Community-Based Services here in Kentucky, Ms. Marta Miranda Straub. Thank you for joining me. Oh, Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. I said a glimpse because... After I did my research a little bit, there is no way that I can fit the scope of your career in an hour. So hopefully we can get a little bit of it. Thank you. Thank you. I've been uh, incredibly blessed uh, to uh, have a very rich career where I felt I have felt that um, my purpose has been to do what I've done, including the role that I'm in now. Uh, and when I look back, I go, how did I do all that? <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. Has anyone ever told you that you give off good energy? Yes. Really? Yeah, a lot. Well, and I thought about that when I was researching and, and kind of formulating my questions. I thought the first time that I met you, and it wasn't even physical. Right. But I was just so taken aback by the positive aura and the energy that I received. So I was like, I have to get her on. I have to get. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I felt the same way about you. It's like, where have you been on my life? Well, thank you. It was like a dance going back and forth. It was beautiful. Yeah. So every conversation, I start off with an off the wall question. Absolutely. Okay. Tell me what personal trait has gotten you into the most trouble. My courage. Courage. Tell me why. Um, well, I have made decisions that from the outside, they did not look uh, good. That mm. mentors and parents have said, uh, that's the wrong decision. Um, uh, and I've gotten in situations that have been very difficult. However, they were the right decisions for me. Right. And when I look back on my life, those are the decisions that have gotten me this rich life and this rich career. Right. Uh, however, the fact that I'm willing to uh, be bold, that I'm willing to jump into the unknown, that I'm willing to say yes to very difficult paths um, is, is really been one of my personal traits that I've had from day one. Uh, I was born uh, a preemie. I was uh, a little three-pound little baby in a pretty toxic womb. I was a twin, and mm. my twin had died. And uh, they went in to get me. This is 1954, military hospital in Cuba. And there I was. So I've been in toxicity all my life <laughs> and surviving in toxicity right. from the beginning. And uh, I kicked and screamed enough that I stayed alive. That's right. And I've always felt like uh, I needed to live for me and for my sister. Um so I, I feel like I bring all that energy to everything that I do. That's right. As we said in the opening, um, the commissioner of the Department for Community-Based Services. But what, from what I've learned, you are so much more than that. Um, an educator, an activist for social change, an advocate for domestic violence prevention, a writer whose career has spanned 40-plus years. But then I read where you say, this position was worth coming out of retirement for. Tell me your mind state when you was given this opportunity. Uh, well, it's really interesting because I had retired. I retired uh, as CEO of the Center for Women and Families. Uh, had planned my retirement for my 45th year as a social worker. I had been 17 years at Eastern Kentucky University prior to that. Uh, so I knew the center was going to be my capstone. Mm. And... Uh, 
I spent two and a half years writing my memoir, uh, developing my consulting practice, planning my condo on the beach, uh, you know, building my mermaid tail, and, uh, you know, finding corals for my hair. I was doing well. Right. And then uh, COVID happened. Mm. And I saw our governor and our secretary and Dr. Stack just have this courageous, uh, bold uh, leadership. And uh, when I got tapped to reconsider uh, coming uh, as uh, the commissioner for DCBS, uh, it was a no-brainer. It was one of those pieces where... I have been struggling with how am I going to support this uh, civil rights movement mm. when I'm immune compromised and 66 years old and I can't be pounding on podiums uh, because, uh, you know, I don't want to risk my life. And right. However, I don't know how to help other than getting my students and my friends out of jail. Um, and when this opportunity came, it was like uh, exactly... An, uh, uh, an opportunity for me to make impact and to to help support the, the leadership and really to transform a cabinet that uh, really needed uh, change and that during this time has the potential to become so much better uh, and to be able to uh, pay attention to our workers and what they need and being able to decrease barriers for our clients and include them as a central voice of our vision. Um, and uh, I, they saw that I was the right leader. I had concerns because I've never worked for state government. Right. I'm not a bureaucrat. I'm a teacher. I'm an activist. I'm an advocate. I'm a poet, but I've never been a bureaucrat. Right. I've always pounded against the bureaucracy. <laughs> um, but uh, every day... I know that I'm here for a reason. That's right. And that it is a perfect fit, so much better than I ever would have thought. And that what I realize is that every job I've ever taken, every lesson I ever taught, uh, everything I've ever learned uh, prepared me for this job. That's right. And that this job is really what, uh, what I'm made of. And this challenge and this times is what I'm made for. That's right. Um, and uh, I'm incredibly uh, humble. Uh, and I'm not very humble. I'm Cuban. <laughs> we don't have an ounce of humility in us. We're like the parakeets of the Caribbean. So I, I don't think humility is in our DNA. <laughs> but I really am humble every day because the work is so big. Uh, the need is huge. Uh, and the, the suffering of our clients uh, is so incredibly overwhelming. The resiliency of our clients is so heartwarming. Um, and our staff doing uh, heroic work uh, without all the support that they need. So I am, I am honored to be here. And uh, I've made it three months without getting fired or quitting. I think that's just an incredible uh, thing. Um, and uh, I, I never knew that I was meant to end my career here. I thought I was done. Right. But the governor said, no, you can't be doing that yet. That's and right. I, <laughs> and here I am, and I'm so grateful that I've said yes. Well, and we are grateful that you are here as well, me being an employee of the cabinet. Um, and, and you spoke about change. And in regards to that change, kind of give me some insight in regards to your vision leading the department into the future. <clears throat> Well, the vision is building a 21st century DCBS. Mm -hmm. uh, we have been working in outdated systems, uh, you know, with outdated regulations, with outdated barriers to services, uh, with a pretty feeble infrastructure, uh, while doing incredible amount of work in the community. Um, and the change that I bring to the table is a focus on secondary trauma, vicarious trauma, compassion fatigue and burnout as a way to mitigate retention and mitigate the trauma that our workers experience. The health of our workers translate to quality services for our clients. Um, so we need to begin in-house. 
Uh, so that's one of the pieces. The other pieces is to bring the voice of those who are consumers of our work, who have the lived experience of being a youth or a family member or an adult uh, receiving our service and bring them into helping us vision what a 21st century cabinet, uh, what a 21st century agency would look like and for them to be in at the front ground with us. Uh, the inclusivity of frontline staff in this strategic planning. Um, I have a 25-member uh, group, work group, on the Building Back Better Together plan, and that includes representation from every position and every region uh, of the cabinet. Um, uh, building pillars for our work and then being able to assess all of our services, looking at disparities and disproportionality, and being able to um, not only collect data, but really uh, analyze the data to be able to make better informed decisions. So the evaluation of all of our services, which one are yielding the outcomes and deliverables that we need, and that's the foundation for our work. Uh, the ones that need to be retweaked and repainted and renovated because they're working some, but not all the way. And the ones that we need to take to goodwill because we know they're no longer useful and we need to redesign. Um, and then building an 18 months plan uh, to innovate and then a three year 21st century plan. Uh, having our consumers and our community partners be trusted advisors in that process and bring their voices right at the goal setting, right at the, at the building of that plan um, is crucial. Um, and being able to have a very comprehensive and inclusive and complex response to our business model. What we do is not changing, but how we do it mm. is changing. Mm. Yes. So l let's go back a little bit. Originally, from Pinar del Rio, Pinar del Rio, did I pronounce that right? Pinar del Rio, Pine of the River. Okay, Pinar del Rio, Cuba, coming to the States when you were a teenager. Twelve. Twelve. Where did you spend the majority of your youth after coming to the United States? Uh, New Jersey. New Jersey. Uh, so I'm a rural Cuban. Okay. Uh, so I identify as Cubalachian. Cuban by birth and Appalachian by the grace of God, <laughs> because my family asked for asylum and we got it. And the foster family that we had was in New Jersey. So we went to a place that looks a lot like Appalachia, uh, you know, rivers, mountains, mm. tobacco, pigs, chickens, <laughs> roosters running through our kitchen uh, to New Jersey, full of buildings and mm. full of different people and snow and all of that. And I spent 10 years there, okay. and it was a pretty poor neighborhood, uh, a lot of black and brown folks, and uh, we, we fought with each other a lot, and uh, it was poor. And uh, that's where I spent 10 years. That's where I learned English. I learned about diversity. Uh, I learned about snow. <laughs> um, and uh, I learned about injustices and, yeah. and poverty, right. uh, rural poverty for the first time in Cuba, and then urban poverty, uh, where I was. So that's that's where I cut my teeth in the United States, and I'm very glad about that. So I'm kind of got this uh, this uh, Jersey-Cuban-Appalachian mix that I really love. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, a, that's a different kind of toughness right there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Listen, I grew up with New Yorkans, uh, 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 folks of Puerto Rican descent who were born in like Brooklyn and Queens and Jersey. Mm. And uh, they taught me how to put a razor blade in my sock always. That's right. Uh, so I'm always prepared just in case. You just never know. Just never know. Right? You just never know. Um, and then I went to Florida because I got scholarships there to go to graduate school. And on one of my um, trips to present at a university, I had a tenure track position and, uh, at uh, my alma mater, Barry University. And uh, I was on my way to Michigan to present a paper and I passed the Kentucky, mm. uh, Tennessee line, and I fell in love. It's the first time that I felt like I was home. Right. Uh, you know, uh, there was just mountains, and there was just people who just smile at you and try to help you, and uh, not try to steal your wallet. And uh, <laughs> you know, it was just, <laughs> it was just home. So here's one of those bold, courageous decisions. I went back home, and I I uh, I took a forty thousand dollar cut in pay. Mm left a tenure track position in a private practice and uh, bought a little uh, log cabin in Rock Castle County 
Anna Haller. Right. And was there 17 years while I taught at EKU. Really? Yeah. And that's when I knew I was home. Right. This is home. So you brought up um, your education, um, Florida International. Right. Um, bachelor's degree in sociology and anthropology. Correct. Um, master's degree in clinical and organizational social work from Barry University. Right. Right. And I seen, I read somewhere, I think it was an email that you sent that said your first social work job was at Jackson Memorial, Memorial Hospital, Hospital in Miami. Correct. Tell me a little bit about that transition from green college student to being thrown straight into the fire. And strength, straight into a forensic uh, unit for uh, Vietnam vets who were experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. This was uh, uh, so long ago that post-traumatic stress disorder didn't exist. Right. They call it war fatigue. Mm. Uh, so it was a small unit. We had no more than 10 um, folks who either through a fugue or a trigger had killed uh, a buddy mm. of theirs or a family member or their family pet. Mm. Uh, and they were there because, first of all, they were uh, incredible. They were suffering from the war. Um, and once they're not in the war with their bodies and they come to this environment of quote unquote normal, you can't believe that the walls still stand and that people are acting like everything is okay when right. your brain is full of images and your heart begins to experience what you saw. Uh, the psyche is really not meant for that kind of uh, uh, violence. Um, and so they were suffering, and then they learned that they had done something against somebody that they cared about. So they had to be watched. There was a lot of suicide, uh, you know, a lot of depression. Uh, and uh, that's, that's, that was my first social mm. work job. So I learned firsthand what violence can do to good people. Yes. And what happens psychologically when a human being gets put in situations that their psyche really cannot tolerate right. and what they're capable of doing. Um, and it, it gave me such an understanding for how how we as human beings have the potential to do good and have the potential to do harm, and that there's no difference. That we it, it has to do with that lived experience and that resilience and that opportunity, because those were really good people, right? And they had done horrific things, yes. And they were suffering. And uh, I really gained an incredible amount of respect for trauma and for resilience. Uh, I also learned meditation uh, uh, because uh, Tignahan came as a ministry to be able to take care of folks who had killed his people. Yes. Um, and from there, I went to work with domestic violence batterers because I then could see that I can work with the other, not mm. just the victim. Okay. Um, and I did that for 10 years. Uh, and of course, then I did drug and alcohol, uh, several units that I ran, um, and then uh, did a lot of sexual assault and a lot of childhood trauma. Uh, and in my clinical practice, did a lot of work with impaired professionals who had uh, lost their license as a result of either addiction or depression or boundary violation uh, or acting out with their clients and, and those kinds of things while teaching you know, at Eastern Kentucky University for 17 years. So you were doing these things as well as um, you were a professor at EKU for 17 years? Yeah. Really? Yeah, and I did 10 years of private practice in Florida, too, while I was going uh, with, uh, while I was working at, at uh, going to Barry University. So I did that. So Now, I've, he I've heard the story myself, um, but I, I want you to tell our listeners the story that pushed you into um, social work, the one to where you came out of the room and seen your aunt yeah. or your was that was just your aunt? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was. Uh, I had my favorite aunt. Her name was Samada, and uh, beautiful, talented, uh, and uh, I. She was great. She was one of those. You know, you only need one adult. Well, I was very blessed. I had my granny. I had my dad, and I had her. Um, and I really uh, thank them for how much they cherished this wild child that I was, yeah. you know, creative and bright and into everything and questioning everybody <laughs> and getting into fights with people and, you know, do, doing all the stuff that I do now. I just do it with a degree and a title and people pay me for it. Uh, but, uh, you know, they just adored me and, and um, I adored them. And I walked into the kitchen.
kitchen because she had just gotten in from the hospital uh, with my brand new baby niece. So I went in to see the baby Mm -hmm. and she was sitting in the kitchen uh, breastfeeding her and crying. And she had a broken jaw Mm. and a black eye. And I asked uh, Tia, why don't you leave him? And this was my, my maternal uncle. And she said, because I can't afford to feed my kids. Mm. And I will never forget her face. I will never forget how that child felt. Um, And I promised myself that I would never be dependent on anyone to feed myself or my kids. So my independence kind of got a whole bunch of trauma response in there to become super independent, which is a trauma response. Yes. Um, And uh, that is how I uh, committed to doing gender justice work and economic justice uh, work. Um, and then from there, um, I was, uh, when I was working at Jackson Memorial Hospital, uh, through the University of Miami, there was the Cuban Haitian refugee program. And, uh, I was asked, uh, to, to do that work. And, uh, I saw the immigration policy, the, the inherent racism, uh, in the immigration policy. So my peers, my Cuban colleagues, were coming in and getting a green card. My Haitian brothers and sisters were being put back on boats that we knew they were going to disintegrate in the ocean or and die. Yes. And uh, I saw my African-American uh, neighbors reject the Haitian folks because they were not, they were not ours. Mm. And um, I became an activist at that point, and I became uh, working on immigration reform uh, humane immigration reform since then, because I saw the disparity and the inherent racism, kind of what we see today. Yes. You know, we have folks like us who are privileged um, and have a green card and our citizenship, and then we see people in cages as well. They're not legal. Uh, you know, they're, they, we have all these uh, justifications for why they're not like us. Um, so I still fight that to this day. Yes. Uh, but it began... Uh, with a Haitian-Cuban refugee program. And I worked for a year in the barracks um, with a Cuban uh, and Haitian refugee program uh, while we were trying to find places to uh, place people and and jobs and, you know, all of that kind of work. So right. it, just amazing work, amazing amazing human beings. Yes, yes. So, so let me ask you, 40-plus um, years is a long time. 46. 46. I got to be I got to be <laughs> concise and accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um t- tell me tell me a couple of things that you wish that you would have knew then that you know now. Oh, that's a really good question. Well, one is that bureaucracies are not all bad. Mm. I just learned that over the last 3 months. Mm. Uh, I am in a bureaucracy that is uh an incredible economic engine for this state and economic and uh, basic need support for those among us who need us the most. And I, I could not be any more proud of that. And right. I never would have said that about a bureaucracy before until I started to enter here yes. and see the quality of people, uh, the, the heart with which folks want to do this work uh, and the challenges in which they do that work. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and maybe I would have gotten into a city or state or federal government right. before, uh, because the impact is so great. Uh, I love policy. I love macro work. I love organizational development. And in these spaces, uh, that's the work. Um, so I, I would have gotten into this work sooner. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, the other thing that I wish I would have learned is that, um, Regardless of how uh, irresponsible or insane uh, my gut decisions were, that they were, they propelled me to live a very authentic life. Mm. And that uh, I, I, my career has healed me in so many ways. And my career has given me uh, a, a, 
an arena, a narrative for being able to live my values. And I never saw them all together. I've always seen my work as, well, I did this work with that population, or then I went and was chair of this, and then I did this activism work, or I did this, you know, Afro-Latin poets work. Uh, I've never seen the quilt until now. Mm. And I think that's part of my age and part of the fact that I was retired for two and a half years. And I was able to write my memoir and look how every experience from my birth to today um, has created this incredibly rich life uh, that I've had the privilege of being able to to stay alive and to work. And uh, the amount of respect and love that I receive for for putting myself out there, for doing the work, um, even people who I don't agree with or don't agree with me, we have mutual respect mm. and we find a way to work together right. um, without having to deny who you are and what you believe. So um, I think that um, some of my wisdom is is, is that, um, you know, from here is that um, I learned that working with people who don't agree with you is the real revolution. Oh, yeah. That that's where the change happens. Oh, yeah. That's where the heart connection happens. That's where the the relationship happens. Um, so uh, I I really uh, I really value uh, differences of opinion. I get pissed off. I I deal with it, uh, and then I move forward and extend the hand and say, okay, let's see what we agree in and what what can we do together. That's right. Um, so um, you know I. It, 46 years gives you a lot of wisdom. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm 66. Oh, yeah. I started this work at age 20. And uh, I, I'm now in this brand new role, learning a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to, to realize uh, that everything I ever, ever was given as a gift personally or that uh, I, I, I ever learned is needed by the cabinet. And uh, I'm incredibly grateful. So you just spoke about writing your memoir. Um, what if I read your memoir? What would be some profound moments that you spoke about? Yeah. Uh, well, I start my the the book is called Cradle by Skeletons, and I start the book with my birth story. Um, so it's my dad losing his daughter, and then uh, finding me. Uh, so I start there. And then I moved through the immigration story and what it was like uh, to leave my family, my aunt, my cousins, my grandmother, and come to a, to a place uh, and celebrate things like Thanksgiving. Um, and my father standing at the bus line trying to understand Thanksgiving and how to talk to the bus driver. So I have a story in there called Four Turkeys to Richfield. Yes. Uh, because my father was trying to practice four people to Richfield, but we were talking about Thanksgiving. <laughs> so he gets to the bus driver and said, Four Turkeys to Richfield. Uh, so, you know, st- immigration stories like that. And, you know, then uh, real uh, life pieces that I was never able to talk be- about before because I had clients, I had donors, I had students, I had advocates, I had a brand that I needed to represent. So things like uh, sexual assault and things like uh, my addiction, mm. uh, as a re- not as a result of the sexual assault, but as a way to deal with that trauma. Um, is in there as well. It's not a. P- I haven't lived a PG thirteen life. Right. Um, and then uh, some work about the clients that I've worked with, domestic violence survivors, uh, people with mental illness, um, and uh, some honoring of that uh, of them, folks who cut as a result of trauma uh, in there, and then some beautiful stuff about loving and being loved. Uh, and uh, then the ultimate uh, poem about uh, my husband. I, I waited until I was uh, 60 to get married for the first time. Congratulations. A, thank you. I had a lot of things to do. <laughs> that's right. And uh, marriage was never in my cards. Uh, that's, I didn't have time for that. you know. And everybody I ever dated, uh, dated and lived with wonderful people, but they all said, you work too much, you give it all at the office, you don't have enough time for me. Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, you know, they were right. Yes. So, um, you know, uh, this kind of white German Catholic guy snuck in under the fence and uh, <laughs> kind of said, uh, I, I know what my job is in your life. And I said, what's that? He said, I'm here to carry your purse. Uh-oh. And he said, I now get what you do. Mm. And what I can do is support you so you can keep doing what you're doing. 
So uh, I would get home and there would be sushi in the refrigerator and my clothes would be washed. And he would say, do you need me to drive you to Frankfurt? Uh, that's, that's who he is yeah. to this day. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we've been together nine years. We've been married four. And uh, he, um, you know, when, when I went home and said, we're not moving to Florida in October to the condo like we planned, I just said yes to being the commissioner. And he said to me, uh, could you tell me what exactly a commissioner does? <laughs> <laughs> That's that. Right. And what can I do? Right. You know? Right. So, yeah. uh, I, you know, I waited. I waited until I was ready, and I certainly uh, have someone who gets what I'm about and that's, that's right. what my work is about right. and instead of being jealous by it or demanding he sees himself as uh, part of the work by supporting me so I'm really happy that's right that's yeah. right so speaking of family now do you have siblings yes I have one brother okay I, I heard you speak about your brother oh and, there's a poem about him and, in there too and yeah you said you he was always your biggest cheerleader and he was always in your corner yeah right he, he was only in my corner he was also the one that i protected so mm. i'm a better person because i had to take care of him yeah. my parents had to go work in factories 12 hours a day um i kind of went to pta meetings and took him to basketball practice and uh you know fought for him because he was just a a really sweet skinny pretty kid that uh everybody wanted to bully and beat up right. on and you know so um i'm better because yes. i had to take care of him yes yeah. um uh, along with him Tell me some other individuals that have been influential to you in your life. Sure, sure. My dad, uh, my dad was a poet, and uh, my dad was a cook, and my dad was always standing in the corner talking to a group of people. Mm. And uh, my dad is the type of guy, very similar to my brother, where if he meets you today, you're invited for dinner. Right. And uh, you're just part of the family, <laughs> and you get acted like you're their best friend, right. you know, to everything. Uh, so my dad gave me an incredible amount of uh, respect for... Uh, uh, you know, the spoken word mm. uh, for, uh, you know, the, that energy around community and being able to connect with people. And uh, he, he just was, uh, was a fun, uh, playful, uh, incredibly, incredibly loving to his favorite, which was me. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, so he was, he was a, a really important, important piece in my life. Um, and then my grandmother, my mm. mother's mother was incredibly, uh, kind. Uh, she raised me a lot of the time. My mom did not like being a mom and did not have much of skills to being a mom. And she wanted a pretty obedient, subservient, child mm. and that was not it <laughs> yeah yeah i think uh you know uh i think that i got dropped in the wrong house right. <laughs> so i would run away to my grandmother or my grandmother would take it and there i got treated like a queen you right. know like a kid and yes. made my favorite stuff and told me stories and so a lot of my storytelling and a lot of my um my love of uh Food and family uh, came from her okay. as well. So th right. those have been incredible. Uh, and then my aunt. I mean, my aunt really inspired me to not be her right. and to give a voice to uh, survivors like her um, so that they make sure that they had a safe place and economic success and a home and a way to take care of the kids away from somebody who was beating them. So yes. uh, she was pretty crucial uh, for me as well. Yes. And with that, we are going to take a quick break. It's Coach Malik, Capital City Cyclones. Just here to remind you, the Cyclones podcast is now a part of Conversations with the Dean. So make sure you stop by and still get great interviews from players and coaches along with other voices within our community. And we are back. Conversations with the Dean. We have Miss Marta Miranda Straub with us. Now, we spoke earlier in regards to her memoir and her being a writer. So I would like to give her an opportunity to read some of her writings with us. Thank you so much, Dean. Uh, I'm honored. Uh, before COVID, I was scheduled. The book came out December 12th, and we had a big uh, book launch at the Omni. It was great. And then um, I started to 
get signed up to go do readings across the country, mm. and then COVID happened. So I've had to read virtually or in podcasts. <laughs> right. uh, uh, I have a beautiful baby girl. Uh, her name is Cradle by Skeletons, A Life in Poems and Essays, uh, and it's both in Spanish and in English. Uh, so it's a good uh, good book to practice Spanish with and then go back. Um, and what I want to read is kind of my signature identity poem, uh, because folks keep saying, what is a Cuban doing in the middle of Rockcastle County and <laughs> right, loving it? Right. So I think this will make sense. So this poem is called Cubalachan, Cuban by birth and Appalachian by the grace of God. I am from a place. I am from a place where roosters wake you up and chickens feed you breakfast. I am from a place where pigs are slaughtered with grit and grace and every little bed is used for something. I am from a place where we feast on white rice, black beans, aguacates, and mojitos. And I'm from the bile of my mother's hatred of her wifely duties and from kneeling on pebbles on the bathroom floor, wishing that I could fly, and I have, and sometimes I still do. I am from the place where cafe always accompanies cigars and visitors. And I am from a place where we give voice to Punto Guajiro and worship the sound of La Rumba. I am from the song of Celia Cruz, Azúcar, Azúcar Negra. I am from the poetry of Martí, Guantanamera, Guajira, Guantanamera, Guantanamera, Guajira, Guantanamera. I am from water-gazing cleanses, bembes, and living altars. I am from a place where we throw shells the same as dominoes and where the African tongues are fueled by rum and conga drums. I am from the place where women traded veils for machine guns, and I am from a place where mango trees swing orchids on their hips, and I am also from the mountains. I have dreamed on this mountain, so I was my mother's daughter, and you can't just take my dreams away without me fighting. I am from the sea, a warrior like Chango, fearless like Obatala, dressed in white and blue, and blessed by Yemaya. Ho-chung, ho-watala, elewa, que viva chango, que viva chango, que viva chango, senores. I am from a place where worn mountains touch the heavens, and where hollers cradle tabaki, sorghum, and wild orchids. I am from a place where studying on it has nothing to do with reading, and where coyotes serenade us while black barns play the fiddle. I am from a place where bless your little heart always accompanies criticism and where we share the bounty of our gardens and the copperheads on our wood piles. I have dreamed on this mountain since I was my mother's daughter and you can't just take my dreams away without me fighting. I am from Appalachia all day long, but I am from Cuba at night. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Absolutely beautiful. So I, I've got a book that I've got to add to my list. So <laughs> that is going to go in rotation immediately. That was very, very, very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Honored. So, so let, let me ask you this, since we're talking um, poetry and deep diving in the words. Um, I must be a mermaid, Rango. <laughs> I have no fear of depths and a great fear of shallow, shallow living. Water. Tell me why that quote is your favorite. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, because it really, um, I don't like brochure versions of life and of work. That's right. Um, I believe life is rich and messy. And the alchemy of humanity, uh, the people that are, quote unquote, on the margins are my people. Mm. I've always identified uh, with the outsider. I've always been part of uh the, the resilience and the courage that it takes uh, to keep your character and your integrity while you are uh, not cherished or honored. Mm. Um, so I've learned a lot uh, about uh, what it's like uh, to be there. And uh, what I find, uh, for example, in diversity and equity work, what I find is that people want to do the 
easier, softer way. Mm. You know, they want to do the brochure. They want to put that black or brown person in charge of the diversity committee and then put a picture. Um, and that's it. Then they're not willing to look at pay equity. They're not looking at exit interviews. They're not really looking at the barriers for that leader to be promoted. We have such a Darth uh, of uh, leadership in both for-profit and non-profit of people of color. Um, but yet our clients are a lot in that being poor people and people of color. Mm. So we're not representing, we're not being represented um, there. Um, so I, uh, what my husband likes to say is, so you, you're not the type that wants to patch things and kind of uh, do a new coat of paint. You just have to take it down to the studs, <laughs> yeah. don't you? Uh, and and that's, that's who I am. Uh, I am that way about my, myself. Um, I am my way about my work. Um, you know, when I do consulting, I ask for a three-month, six-month, or a year commitment to take deep dives into an organization. Mm. Um, you know, the work that we're doing here um, is really about reassessing everything and rethinking our business model and how we provide services to people and who we are. It's not about fixing a little outcome here and there. I, I, that's not me. That's right. not what I bring to the table. That's right. So um, I uh, love the ocean. And I love the mountains, and I've lived in the mountains 30 years now. Uh, so in my retirement, the purpose was to be a mermaid author on the beach. Mm, um, okay. So that was the plan. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I love that quote by Anais Nin because really I, I love intimacy. I don't avoid conflict. I, I take a deep dive into the bottom of the ocean and figure what monsters are there and try to make them my friends and try not to die or drown in the process. Right. Uh, so I just... I, I'm just really believe in depth and believed in depth of relationships and, and depth of thinking and depth of doing the work, really taking deep dives yes. into the work, yes. uh, not being afraid of that. Um, so uh, I'm just not, you know, not a superficial person. Um, and uh, it, it, I don't get fed uh, by doing work that is not high impact. Um, and that is not hard. Right. I mean, I must be that toxic womb that I was uh, survived in. You know, I just I like to get in there and swim with what's not working right. and swim with uh, with the sharks and try not to get eaten and, uh, you know, figure out how we could work together. So that that quote is is just uh, it fits me. It fits me well. Right. Now, talking about speaking of in depth. Tell me some things that you're working on improving about yourself. Mm. Um, work on myself uh, is has been the the you know the biggest gift that my social work profession has given me. What I learned really early was that I didn't have a right to work with people and not do the work that I was asking them to do, mm. and I'm so grateful for that. So work on myself has to do with, for example. Um, how do I, um, as passionate and as opinionated and as uh, uh, knowledgeable, really, because I'm old and I've done a lot, <laughs> I also <laughs> smoke cigars. You know, you just get knowledgeable just from doing that. Right. I don't smoke cigars. But my brother, when I retired, said, you're now going to have a shirt that says, uh, I know a lot and I smoke cigars. <laughs> uh, and send me a cojiva, you know, for my, for my retirement. So, uh, you know, it, it, how do I... Um, how do I work on my resonance? You know, I'm working on how do I uh, remain passionate and and are able to create space for people who need more time to respond to things, uh, who process internally mm. as opposed to myself. I process as you and I talk through. Um, how do I uh, work on how... Uh, my intention versus my impact. Mm. Uh, you know, how do I listen to the pushback uh, that is not personal, but it's about something I put out that was perceived in a certain way, even though that was not my intention. And instead of becoming defensive to that, saying, you know, uh, how do I how do I address that in a way that has integrity um, and in a way that I can support someone disagreeing. Uh, without me having to convince them that they were wrong right. to disagree with yes. me, which has been the way I've done most of my <laughs> relationships, right? Um, so really learning some humility uh, and learning some... Uh, I've always been a servant leader. 
Uh, but I don't believe I've been as conscious and intentional about um, creating space for other people that are different from me and disagree with me mm. to have the same seat at the table. Right. Um, so really looking at the power dynamics and uh, and uh, really uh, attempting to be uh, one of many as opposed to the one. Right. Uh, and really uh, surrendering some power and control um, so that um, everyone feels like they're contributing as much as I am. So that's my work right now. I have a mentor. I have a really good therapist. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm high maintenance. I, I need a lot of help. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm in recovery, so I go to uh, recovery meetings and have sponsors and people that I sponsor that kind of the great leveler is addiction. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're uh, unhomed or whether you're the, the, the CEO of a center or a surgeon or a commissioner. Uh, it's the, the level is that, you know, uh, we, we need to, we need to practice some humility and we need to make sure that we're healthy and doing what we need to do to build a life that we don't need to escape from. That's right. Because that's what drugs and alcohol are. Right. Um, so um, I, I'm using my systems more. I'm asking for a lot more help. Um, I haven't had a boss in a long time, so I'm learning about how to have a boss. Thank God is Secretary Friedlander. <laughs> Uh, because I really respect respect him and his values, and uh, you know, uh, you know. So I'm I'm learning how to have a boss. I haven't had that in a long yes. time, and uh, you know, appreciate his support. And and he's kind of saying, you know, uh, remember that you used to doing things on your own. You now have like me and the governor to go through. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks. That's right. <laughs> You know, so yes. in a way, it feels really good. It feels really comforting. Right. Yeah. So, so tell me, tell me a failure in life that if you took a negative approach to it, you wouldn't be sitting here with me today. Mm-hmm. Um, two things. Uh, one, I was uh, engaged, and three days before my wedding. Mm. And uh, my uh, beautiful, handsome Italian fiancé proceeded to inform me that things were going to be very different now that we were married, that um, he wanted to have children right away, even though we had agreed that uh, it, it was going to, I was in college, it was going to be after I graduated. Um, and that um, from now on, he was going to take care of the money uh, because that was his role. And... Uh, I remember thinking, oh, here it is, my economic independence gone. And I was madly in love, you know, right, I was 17 yeah. and madly in love. And I was kind of the fat girl that the handsome guy paid attention to. And um, the, uh, you know, I, I sat on that chair uh, after he left. And uh, three hours later, I called my maid of honor and asked her if she would help me uh, returned uh, all of my wedding gifts. Mm. Of course, it was Catholic. We've had three showers, <laughs> you know, and uh, and take it to my uh, mother-in-law and the bank account and the keys because I was leaving the state uh, before my wedding. Mm. And she drove me to the airport, and I left the state three days before my wedding. Really? Now, if I didn't have that courage at that age to say. Uh, I'm not going to be able to live like this. Right. And this is going to turn the same way that it turned on my aunt. Uh, if I didn't have the courage to disappoint his family, my family, our friends, people were there from all over the country. We've had like the priest and all of the classes and all of that. Um, if I had not had the courage to leave with uh, my heart broken and pay attention to my gut that I, who I was, could not live under those conditions, no matter how much I loved, I would not be here. Right. I would probably be about 400 pounds with a needle <laughs> in my arm and uh, uh, a domestic violence survivor because mm. that was the blueprint. Right. right? So um, I'm really grateful that, again, courage yes. uh, to leave a situation before it got really bad. And, uh, and then... Uh, you know, let my dream of uh, a fantasy uh, of that wedding that we all want right. uh, for my life 
you know, I traded the fantasy for my life. Mm. That was that was a pretty good trade-off. Yeah, it yeah. Was. One of the poems in the book you read is called "The Prince Was a Frog." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so let me ask you now. Now, this one's gonna. This one might stump you a little. Tell me something you dreamed about doing, but you've never said out loud. Something I dreamed about doing, but I haven't said it out loud. Hmm. You know, in my experience, all the things that I set out to do, people said they were unrealistic. I mean, my father, really? my father did not want me to go to school uh, mm. after high school. He wanted me to get married and have babies, uh, you know, to work for, to work for the government, uh, you know, and that was not my life. Right. Um, so uh, I went on and pawned all of my 15 quinceañera gold jewelry and paid for my first books. Uh, for college, really? Uh, yeah. So my, you know, my father would introduce me as, uh, "This is our daughter Marta. We brought her all the way from the from Cuba to the United States so that she can get a doctorate in socialism." <laughs> <laughs> so everything that was democracy or social justice or economic justice or social work or sociology to my father fleeing Cuba and communism was the opposite. Mm. So he, for him, I failed. Right. So my father, although I've been very successful in my career, my father saw me as a failure mm. because I did have children. I had not gotten married. Those, those, was, those was his narrative for right. what success looked like. Right. But I did it because it was not about his life. It was about mine. That's right. And although I adored him and he adored me, um, and I'm really sad that he died thinking that his daughter had failed him. Um, I had to live my life, That's not right. the life that he wanted for me. That's right. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, li living Florida and coming to Kentucky and people having all these stereotypes about Kentucky, uh, where are you going to teach? Do they have schools over there? I mean, you know, really that <laughs> yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. My brother came to visit me in the holler and bought me a gun because he was afraid of me living out really? there. And it's like, uh, you know, so, uh, but yet, you know, leaving that wedding, uh, becoming a social worker, going to graduate school, uh, leaving home, leaving the wedding, uh, leaving Florida and coming and living in the most beautiful, in heaven, uh, Rockcastle County, Kentucky, um, is, is what has made me who I am today. Yes. And uh, so I'm trying to think, other than being a real mermaid, I don't, you know, I think, I think, I think what I'm going to do, though, is, uh, is uh, buy one of those uh, tails and then at least do it in a pond or right. a pool or something. Right. So I think what I have not done that I wanted to do is be a real mermaid. Be a real mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you just alluded to this, and, and you're making this conversation so easy for me oh well thank you thank you for all the research you've done yes. you know more about marta miranda than marta well, miranda does. I, I, I try i try <laughs> <laughs> um you, you brought up success <clears throat> and and this question is going to get asked to every guest that i ever sit down with because i think you can get a lot of insight in the answers that come out of this how do you define success I define success by the impact that those around me have on the world. Um, mm. My ability to influence, my ability to support and to coach and to excite and energize change and to see people claim it, own it and carry it and make it happen. Mm. Uh, that's what success means to me, for yes. me to get out of the way and see that the folks I've been working with and that we've been creating together are successful and are growing their leadership and growing other people and doing the work that we set out to do. Right. Um, that is what success means to me. Right. And every person that I've asked, they've always come back to the point that success is not about you. Oh, it's never about you. It's, and every person that I've asked has not in the exact same words, but you deduce that it's not about you. Success is not about you. Success is you helping others grow. Right. You know, um, tell me something you're curious about right now. I'm curious about what the 21st century uh, DCVS is going to look like. I am so excited and I am so full of hope and vision and energy about what 444, uh, 4,444 people are going to be able to do, uh, what our, 
our consumers are going to be able to offer us, what our partners are going to be able to offer us, and to look, be at the beach, writing my next book, and uh, hearing the good work that the cabinet and DCBS is doing yes. uh, is 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 what is what I'm working towards and what I'm really really energized by and what I spend every day uh, figuring out how to get us there. That's right. So that I can back away and let other people carry it forward. Right. Really thrilled about that. Right. So if you had guests coming over for dinner, what are you putting on the table for them? Hmm. Well, I'm a foodie. Uh, yes. Yeah, and I love good food. That's right. <laughs> uh, so there are several options. Um, I think I would make a, uh, I could make a real Cuban meal and do black beans and rice and avocado and tomato salad with red onions mm. and roast some pork mm. and make sure that it has good mojito over the top and do some plantains yes. and people will be overwhelmed and I love <laughs> But I also spend, uh, while I was at Eastern, I had sabbaticals um, and I had summers off. And I always went to Italy. Oh. I loved Italy. Okay. So I learned about olive oil. I learned about pastas. I learned about cheeses. I learned about risottos. So it's really easy for me to put a good uh, grill together of good fish and, you know, octopus and squid and do that with lime yes. and put that over pasta with some burrata cheese and some sliced tomato mm. and some pesto and, you know, uh, then we're home too. So, you know, it, it depends on, on the mood. So... It's not um, hard for you to pull something out of your culinary hat. Is that what oh, you're saying? Oh, no, I love it. I love it. I just made a country captain, which is a curry chicken dinner. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I, I love to cook. It's, it's one of my hobbies. It's one of the gifts my father left me. Um, so, yeah, I can, I can make things uh, taste good and look pretty. Uh, at the same time, yes. and uh, I, I love that. Yes. I love feeding people, and I love setting a table, and I love the conversation that happens over Oh, yeah. Table. Oh, yes. Yeah. So before we let you get out of here, what do you hope will be the legacy of Marta Miranda Straub? Well, I always say to people, um, when you're thinking about your life, um, imagine what you want on your tombstone and work backwards. Mm. So my legacy is she used every ounce of energy and gift that she was given to make the world better than she left it. That's right. And that's it. That's, that's right. what I want to do. I want to go with nothing. I want to pass on all my skills to younger people, my ideas, uh, uh, mentor people to be able to lead. And I want to go, I want to go, you know, just dry with nothing on me. That's right. Uh, so everything I got, um, I'm going to give it and I'm going to give it all. So uh, that would be my legacy that every I've gotten lots of gifts and lots of support and lots of opportunity. And I just want to pass them on. So uh, she left it all here. Uh, That's right. It's probably what my tombstone will say. That's right. Um, before I wrap up, um, and occasionally I do this when I feel like that I didn't get as much as I would have liked. An hour is not a lot of time. I'm kind of covered 46 years here. <laughs> I, I would like, and when your time is convenient, maybe a couple of months from now, I would like to sit back down and talk with you more on some the writing and some other things that sure. we may not have gotten to cover in this conversation. And, and I also heard that you're a good storyteller. Yeah. So I would like to maybe hear some stories and let the people hear some stories. I, I think that when we peel the coat back sometimes of titles and positions, oh, yeah. a lot of people understand that we're all the same. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to get out there that, yeah, um, she may be the commissioner, but she's an everyday person. Yeah. Right. Well, way beyond that, I, I am one of many, um, and we all have a role uh, in this life and in this work, and right. mine is no bigger or better than yours. We all, we all have work to do, That's and if right. we do it well, we'll all be okay. Right. Uh, you know, so I would love to do some storytelling. There's some beautiful stories in the book, and uh, hopefully, you know, I could update you more yes. about what folks at the uh, DCVS are doing. Uh, to improve our access and to improve how we work with each other and how we partner. Um, so I would love to, and this has been incredibly fun. And uh, I always say, to, I always for myself, and uh, I encourage my staff, is always make sure that you have a spirit.
spiritual candy bar in your day. That's right. Because your day is hard. Mm. So what's your spiritual candy bar for today? And I want you to know that you're my spiritual Thank candy you. bar for Thank today. Thank you very much. It's been a tough day. Yeah, well, I'm so glad to have you, I, I, have I, this time with you. I've seen a little in emails in regards to some things, <laughs> but I can only imagine by me having um, worked with the prior commissioner yeah. and the prior administration, I know the stresses that come with being in this bubble, so to speak. Yeah. But um, let me be the first to say, and I'm sure I won't be the last to say, they have picked the right individual for the task. Thank you. I think I'm the right individual for the time. Uh, this is my time That's right. to lead. That's right. Uh, before that, I would have made everybody miserable and I would have been miserable. <laughs> yeah. uh, but right now, it's my time. That's right. And I, I deserve the seat and I'm really honored to have it. Well, we're going to hold you to the um, you coming back, and we wish you nothing but the best moving forward. And with that, we are going to close. I would like to thank my guest, the commissioner of the Department of Community-Based Services, Ms. Marta Miranda Strive, for sitting down for the conversation. For everyone listening, thanks for tuning in. And don't forget, subscribe, review, and leave a comment. And also, make sure to share with a friend, colleague, or relative. And remember... While no single conversation is guaranteed to change the direction of a career, a business, a relationship, or a life, any conversation can. <laughs>